I'm Scott Weinberger, journalist and former deputy sheriff. In my new podcast series called Blooded, I'm embedded in the cold case investigation into the death of firefighter Billy Halpern. Experience this investigation in a truly unique way, untangling secrets that may reveal the answers to not only one case, but almost a dozen. Listen to Cold-Blooded, The Apollo Jim Murders on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi guys, Nancy Grace here, host of podcast Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. I've dedicated my life to fighting crime and helping crime victims. For a decade, I prosecuted violent felonies. Every day is a mission. Every day is a chance to stop crime and keep one more person safe. Listen to Crime Stories with Nancy Grace on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. In the recent history of documentary filmmaking, one scene stands out above all. The hot mic bathroom confession of Robert Durst in The Jinx. Now the person responsible for that moment, Sereb Kaufman, stepson of the victim, friend of the murderer, star of the documentary, for the first time ever, shares why he believes you're watching the furthest thing from the truth on this exclusive episode of Murder Homes. Listen to Murder Homes on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher, back with another season of the global number one podcast, The Girlfriends. Last time, we investigated the murder of Gail Katz. This time, we're uncovering the identity of the woman who was buried in Gail's grave for a decade before she disappeared. Join me and the rest of the club as we tell her story. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister, starting May 6th on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Sodomy. Shit. Fuck. God damn it. No, that's not the way to introduce a podcast. What is Robert I'm so sorry. That was just the word sodomy. That's not an introduction of of any sort. Robert Evans. I'm terribly sorry. Oh my god! I'm so sorry. This is behind the bastards, a podcast. Was having a fine day where we talk about bad people, and I've ruined it. I've ruined our discussion of genocide by mentioning the word sodomy, and I apologize for that. Uh, You're just kind of subverting the narrative, and I do appreciate that. I don't know what a narrative is, but speaking of narratives, <laughs> the subject of our episode today uh, was was the master of creating narratives. Um, also, Jamie Loftus, you're the guest. Sorry, I got Hi. so caught up in saying the word sodomy quietly that uh, today you really gave <laughs> your all to it. And yeah. I know you're not feeling well, so that that took a lot to get that kind of it performance. Did. It did. Are we you talking know, about Aaron Sorkin? Y- no, we're talking about <laughs> kind of. That. I mean, thank you, you for could, that, Jamie. <laughs> okay, so Chris Carter was the X Files guy, right? Where mm, uh, possible. Maybe. I, I think it know. was Chris Carter. We're talking about the guy who inspired a lot of the X-Files. Ooh, um, okay. We're also talking about the guy who Factually inspired correct. Alex it Jones. Is, it is Chris Carter. Factually oh, okay. Correct. I mean, as long yeah, as yeah. as long as long he inspired Alex Jones. I thought you were going to say Alex Mack. No, but... no, not Alex Mack, but he also inspired the Wu-Tang Clan. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Well, I... <laughs> You got to hand it to him. What a life. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. We're talking about a real, a real influential piece of shit today. Um, (laughs) 
some people i think when i when i mentioned the wu-tang clan the folks who know this guy recognized who it is but we're talking about bill cooper um Ooh, okay. have you ever heard of bill cooper Jamie I, ha- Loftus? I have but i don't know in which of these contexts i've heard of them was he like a conspiracy guy like he was a conspiracy yes. guy okay. yes. yes i have he, heard of he him. was he was a radio show host who was kind of the first alex jones in a lot of ways Um, And he also was a very successful author of a conspiracy book that um, went on to become one of like the foundational documents of American gangster rap. Um, The first paragraph of his Wikipedia page. I'm excited. Yeah. He's he's quite a character. I would like to say that I'm glad he paragraph is just a full journey. Yeah. Holy shit. His real name is not even Bill, isn't it? Isn't his real name? It's William. It's William. No, but isn't that also not even in his real name? Um, kind Milton of. William Bill yeah, Cooper. Yeah, Milton William Cooper. Well, Milton's my grandfather's name, so we're going to take that. Yeah. He's Bill. He's Bill. Yes, I I, a, I, I've decided that already. Don't yeah. like Yeah, it. I have a long, I have a long, and it hasn't really failed me yet. I have like a long distrust of someone that insists on going by three names. And yes. um, I have a he, feeling that this is no different. No, no, he, he, he was pretty consistent about just Bill, but. Yeah. Bill. Okay. You still shouldn't have trusted him because he was a famous <laughs> <Pretty much> liar. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. So, kind of the reason I think this is important to talk about today is that um, at 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 the present moment, Jamie, eleven QAnon believers are currently have uh, like active congressional candidates. Have they've either won primaries or runoffs, mm-hmm. um, and will be on the ballot in November? Um, oh, good. Yeah, and if if you're if you're just joining us from the year 2015, um, <laughs> some shit has gone down. First off, you you might want to first I don't of all know, end it off. now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> just turn your car and angle. No, um, <laughs> yeah. So uh, QAnon, the QAnon conspiracy theory basically states that the whole Democratic Party and and all global political leadership uh is part of a satanic cult that drinks the blood of children um right donald trump was chosen by our military and also jesus to take power and root out this cabal of devil worshipers uh and this in is some all versions stuff we talk about at the barbecues i have at my house yeah you, as as you should yeah. um in some versions of the conspiracy jfk jr is a crucial part of it um <laughs> but that's very much a contentious issue within within this community so there's a, even, I mean, there's at least one of the QAnon uh, candidates is also hot, which I found to be yes. A there's wild some hot trip. ones. Yes, it's I didn't a, know it's that hot people were in QAnon. That yeah. did, you know, I was just like, okay, so they they know skincare at very least. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I mean, you can you can give a shit about you know your pores and also believe that the Luciferian cabal uh, has been orchestrating global politics in order to harvest adrenochrome from the blood of children. Child's blood um, is is which keeps them young. Yeah, the pores. Yes. Well, I mean, actually, yeah, but. That's something some of us just learned by accident. So, uh, yeah, QAnon, it's pretty silly, pretty silly stuff. Uh, And it's so silly that all credible media kind of ignored it for three years and pretended it wasn't happening until there were hundreds of thousands of Americans who believed it and 11 of them uh, who might wind up in Congress. Michael Flynn. At least one person that you went to high school with deeply, powerfully believes in it. Would die for QAnon, would (laughs) die for this conspiracy. Yeah. Michael Flynn, uh, a lifetime military 
military intelligence man, a general, and a former member of President Trump's staff, recently had his whole family swear an oath of allegiance uh, to the <laughs> like to the mysterious Q and his cause. So um, it's a problem. It's become an issue. <laughs> it's a real issue, and it's not like there's the only thing to do about it is kind of laugh because of how how much of a problem it is, but it really is not a laughing matter. It's a very no. serious issue. Um, it's, it's, and, and it's worth noting, like, it, QAnon for a long time, people would talk about it as a conspiracy theory. And one of the researchers I follow, Sarah Hightower, um, has kind of been making the point for quite a while that, like, calling it a conspiracy theory really misses the point. It's a cult. Um, it's, it, and, mm-hmm. like, it, it's a religious movement. And I think at this point, you could probably make a pretty good case that QAnon is the USA's fastest growing new religious movement, um, Mm. which is, again, a real problem. So the question, one of the questions we should all be asking ourselves as we we try to deal with this thing that's happening is how did we get here? Um, Mm -hmm. Well, the question I've been asking myself is who is Q? I've been asking myself this for many years. See, I think that's the least important thing in the world, actually. (laughs) Uh, But yeah, I, I... at this point, the the belief system has gone so far beyond whatever the individual or individuals who are like posting the Q drops uh, actually have been pushing people to do that. It's like, I think, kind of almost immaterial who Q is. Mm-hmm. Um, so the broader question when we look at like QAnon and we look at just the fact that we're in a place right now where like the guy who got elected president is a famous conspiracy theorist who has like repeated conspiracy theories about the active pandemic killing people during his administration while delivering like like it, it, news to the nation about the pandemic like the fact that that's where we are right now um, like kind of begs the question how the fuck did we get here um and there's a number of theories about like how conspiracism um became what it is in american culture uh, and it, it kind of starts in the 1970s with the work of a British sociologist named Campbell who coined the term cultic milieu to uh, refer to the kinds of supportive cultural environments that allow cults to form. Okay. So prior to Campbell's work, most experts had kind of seen cults as freak phenomenon, uh, strange and terrible like things that just sort of happened, like some charismatic guy would come along and he would enthrall the brains of a certain group of people and then you'd have a cult. And it was just mm-hmm. sort of like this thing that happened um, as sort of like a freak curiosity. Um, but Campbell's argument was that cults didn't come out of nowhere and they weren't primarily the product of whatever individual or individuals were behind them they kind of grew mushroom like from a fertile cultural substrate you had to have like a culture that could support the growth of cults and certain things in a culture certain like um trends within a culture would make it much uh, a much more fertile ground for cults to sort of like form and thrive in so that's like what a cultic milieu is Mm -hmm. Uh, in the book a culture of conspiracy scholar michael barkun notes quote the cultic milieu is by nature hostile to authority both because it rejects the authority of such normative institutions as churches and universities and because no single institution within the milieu has the authority to prescribe beliefs and practices for those within it as diverse as the cultic milieu is however campbell finds in it unifying tendencies. One such tendency is its opposition to dominant cultural orthodoxies. This is also a major characteristic of the culture of conspiracy, within which the reigning presumption is that any widely accepted belief must necessarily be false. Okay. So that that sounds a little familiar. It definitely does. I feel like the, like, conspiracy, uh, 
like the cons- the conspiracy label is used to be dismissive too often of like oh it's yeah. kind of a, a fun tabloid story more more so and then when you start calling it a religion which has much of the same properties it suddenly becomes serious and all of a sudden there's hot people running for for public office yeah yeah or or you know compounds outside of waco getting burnt down by the fbi a number of things did you just bring waco in here i'm this we're gonna talk so much about waco today we're getting into waco today oh yeah we're gonna be ready for waco today all right nobody wakes up ready for waco except (laughs) for david koresh briefly but not anymore yeah so, uh, we live in a culture of conspiracy now, and and I think a lot of Americans are kind of waking up to the extent to which that is happening and continuing to happen and what a problem it is. Um, and it wasn't th- this kind of cultic milieu that, that uh, has overtaken a lot of even mainstream culture now, like, didn't didn't happen by accident. It was formed kind of intentionally by individual human beings who tended it like a good farmer tends to soil and made basically made our culture into one in which a a famous conspiracy theorist could not just get to become president, but could get to like shout out his nonsense um, to like could get to like shout out conspiracy theories about an active plague while it was going on and have millions of Americans say, well, like, surely that guy's right. Like, the fact that we're there now isn't an accident. It was, it was, like, the, the, yeah, I, I don't know. This is, this is a bad way to introduce this. There's a lot of, that I'm, I'm trying to, like, kind of even wrap my head around here because the problem is, right. is so extensive. And there's a number of individuals who were sort of behind bringing us to this point because this wasn't always the case. You know, there used to be, you know, kind of really what we're looking at, what we're looking at as the root cause of, of why we are where we are culturally right now and politically right now mm-hmm. is the death of any kind of shared conception of truth. It's not possible to have that because a huge chunk of the country, whenever somebody claims to be claims to be like trying to tell them facts about the world um now kind of automatically will reject those facts if they're in opposition to you know whatever belief structure that person has right. um and will form the fact that like some professional person is telling them that 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 their beliefs are wrong will kind of graft that automatically onto this conspiratorial belief about the nature of 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 the world at the moment right. like the no fact commonly that, accepted truths exactly exactly yeah. and today we're going to talk about probably the man who's most responsible with kind of setting off that domino chain reaction that led to the death of truth. I'm not going to say that 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 this guy killed truth on his own, um, but Bill Cooper probably deserves more credit for building our cultic milieu um, than any other single person. And only, again, like two kinds of people really recognize Bill's name today. The first kind are folks who like study conspiracy and the history of right-wing extremism, the militia movement. Those folks will have heard of Bill Cooper. The mm-hmm. second kind of people who know Bill Cooper today are are fans of 1990s gangster rap. I was going to say, um, the others are, are rap fans, yeah. Yeah, is the Wu-Tang Clan. <laughs> yeah. I'm thrilled that we have found this intersection at long last. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Bill left a really big influence on both worlds, and it's kind of fascinating as to why. Um, so Milton William Cooper, 
Um, so yeah, that's the name, Jamie. He is a Milton. Milton. Um, yeah. It's nope. really unfortunate. Was born on May 6th, 1943 in Long Beach, California. Uh, his father, Milton Vance Cooper, was an Air Force pilot who got his start flying for the U.S. military before the Air Force even existed. Uh, Milton wisely went by the name Jack, which is a much better name for a pilot. Jack Cooper, that's a good That's a good pilot name. Yeah, that's just a good, um, just a good old-fashioned MGM rename. Yeah, and you'll note that like neither uh, Milton William nor Milton Vance ever went by the name Milton because it's a it's an objectively bad name. Well, um, I mean, just you know, say what you will about his life choices, but he did make at least one solid decision. Yeah, no, no, he made the right call there. Um, and yeah, uh, as a little kid, Bill went by Little Jackie, um, which is is okay. I do cute. hate that. Yeah, I don't like. No, that. that's perverted. I don't like that. Yeah, um, so Bill's ancestors had come from all over the British Isles, uh, which you shouldn't call the British Isles because it wipes out the existence of Scotland and Ireland, two nations that were kind of oppressed by the British for Mm -hmm. centuries. But I want to challenge the British and the Irish to unite and finally wipe out the English, and I feel like goading them this way might work. So just as a note (laughs) in the future, when I call something the British Isles, it's because I'm trying to orchestrate the destruction of the English people. Yeah, you're just trying to Um, remind people to radicalize and get some shit done. Yeah. Yeah, so like you know, I'll I'll refer to them properly, Scotland and Ireland, when you and Wales, when you do something about the English, um, yeah, <laughs> gauntlet balls in your thrown. Court. Yeah. So uh, anyway, Bill uh, Bill's family came from all over the Isles, uh, and okay. they wound up in the United States, uh, and kind of all over the United States. He had family that fought on both sides of the Civil War. Um, there were a lot of frontiersmen in the Cooper family uh, as a boy. Bill was particularly taken by stories of his great-grandfather, who he would later call a real cowboy. Uh, He wrote later that as a child, he saw photos (laughs) of his great-grandpa. Yeah. He he would later write that as a child, he saw photos of his great-grandpa, quote, standing in front of a saloon with a six-gun in his belt. Now, Bill was a famous liar, and this is probably a lie. That fake as There just weren't a lot of those guys, really, like, as (laughs) as a rule. That was like a fake, Um, that was a constructed image in the first place. That's fun. Fun lie. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, and yeah, but this is what Bill, this is what Bill at least thought it was important for people to think about his family background. <laughs> that um, they were cowboys. Yeah, this is a very mature Cowboys worldview. and horse thieves. He was also like, oh yeah, oh, and one of them fun. got hung as a horse thief. Yeah, it was, okay. yeah. So the Cooper family moved constantly to accommodate uh, Jack's military career. And this was not a low stress period to be the family member of somebody doing what Jack was doing in the military. The Cold War was at its coolest level. Uh, Nuclear annihilation was a constant threat. And young Bill grew up knowing that at any moment his father might be sent off to die in a war that would almost certainly kill his family in nuclear hellfire as well. Um, It was a stressful way to be a kid. Um, I I know that particularly well because my dad and Bill had very similar childhoods, actually. Uh, My dad was about about a decade younger. um, But his dad, I don't I don't even know what my grandpa on that side of the family actually did. He was a civilian employee of the Department of Defense, and he was constantly in Southeast Asia. And we don't know like nobody really knows anything else about what grandpa was doing. I bet Um, he was probably posing like a cowboy in front of a saloon if I were just to give probably posing. Like a cowboy, yeah. but like my dad has these memories of like when the um when the we, they were stateside when the Cuban Missile Crisis hit, and he was just like 
they he and i think his mom like drove him and his sister out to like family who lived away from a city and they just stayed there for days without really knowing anything just knowing that like something had happened and dad says like you guys shouldn't be near get out of in, in a city yeah jesus christ um, that is like, terrifying yeah it was like in a lot of there were a lot of kids who grew up uh, like my whole family in this period of time were military brats and there was a lot of like it was a stressful thing to be like you know because you're always you're always worried that nuclear annihilation is around the damn corner and so Bill grows up with this kind of apocalyptic expectation as just a constant part of his reality as like a little kid um, so that's not great um, no. yeah the bio yeah and, and it's yeah the biography pale horse rider by mark jacobson which is a, a biography of william cooper uh notes quote once while his father was assigned to lajes field on tercera island in the azores uh the young cooper was sitting in the base rec room watching a movie when the projector ground to a halt the lights came on and a plea was made for blood donors i knew immediately something terrible had happened okay. running outside cooper saw that a b-29 super fortress had crashed i saw men on fire running through the night cooper wrote in behold a pale horse I was only nine years old, but felt much older. Oh, so that's boy. not great. <laughs> yeah, that's not great. Here's, here's the problem with the beginning. <laughs> All of these stories start out with like a, just a traumatized yeah, uh, little cutie pie. Just a broken pie. little boy. <laughs> there, we need to start. Well, no, this is probably, but there, like, there needs to be some sort of Muppet babies for yes. for the bastards. Yeah, just yeah. bastard babies. They're, and then they can just all go to a child therapist and really talk shit through, save yeah. them a lot of trouble. Yeah, except for Saddam, who would have absolutely smuggled in a gun and shot that therapist. Like, shot that therapist immediately. <laughs> Saddam was, yeah, he was, yeah. he was, uh, you a know, prize. some people are born that way. He was, he was, he was a hardened gangster by 13. <laughs> but also had the heart of a poet, you know, it's yeah. complicated. Well, of course. Yeah, like Al Capone. Um, right, right. So in his own book, Behold a Pale Horse, Bill Cooper Which is a himself, great name for a book. It is a great name for a book. Bill, it, one thing you'll learn about Bill is that he was a fantastic marketer, and that's an objectively incredible title. That's, like, I, I'm, is yeah. it a memoir? No, 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 no. It, it just includes a section on his background. We'll talk about what Behold a Pale Horse is, because it it's very like influential. Porn. Like, it's kind of, it's a very appealing title. Well, it, it's, it's from that book that... Uh, that line in the book of revelations but again we'll talk about that in a little bit so okay. yeah it, it is a great title and I'm kind of frustrated that he took it because it would be a great <laughs> title for a book right now about, it would yeah so anyway um, Bill would later write himself right of his upbringing that quote I didn't always love my father he was a strict disciplinarian my dad did not believe in spare the rod and his belt was put to use frequently in our family and like most children who grew up in such families Bill grew, was like Bill grew up with a like basically focusing all the time on how to avoid getting in trouble like right that's the mm -hmm. thing you learn as a kid with authoritarian parents who punish you um, physically particularly is how to not get in trouble um, mm -hmm. and he was regularly the focus of his dad's anger which kind of yeah his his whole life was uh, his whole life as a kid was revolved around hiding from his dad's anger um, and yeah, he grew up with the feeling that, quote, rules didn't mean much until I got caught breaking them. And discipline like this has the effect of kind of 
training children to be exceptional liars. Um, it teaches them to always have a story, a really believable story, in order to not get in trouble. And there's actually research to back this up. In 2016, Victoria Talwar, an expert on children's social cognitive development at McGill University, published a study on this. IFL Science reported, quote, Talwar and her colleagues developed a test to identify effective young liars called the peeping game. Taking her test to two West African schools, one with relaxed rules and one with harsh disciplinary regimes, the peoples were asked to guess without looking at it which object is making the noise behind them. Importantly, the last object made a noise that was different from any sound it could actually produce. For example, a baseball would make a squawking noise. If any children knew what this final object was, they were clearly taking a peek at it while unsupervised. During the experiment, the supervising adult leaves the room and upon returning, asks the child two questions, what the object was and if they peeked at it. Talwar discovered that the more relaxed school showed a distribution of liars and truth-tellers similar to that found in many Western schools. However, in the strict school, the children proved to be extremely rapid and effective liars. Mm. Um, so that's going to become very relevant as we talk about every single thing Bill says about his life. Uh, right. So okay. much of the information we have on Bill's childhood comes from Bill himself. And again, he's a he's a liar. <laughs> like, so, so it's very... Yeah. <laughs> okay. This is difficult. This is it's difficult. tough because he lies about really absolutely everything. With him, but that's because he wants you I, to, and that's because he's a good liar. That's because he's a good liar. That also doesn't mean that he's lying about everything. And in fact, he, there's a lot he's definitely telling the truth about, um, including the fact that his dad. I have no trouble believing his dad was uh, an authoritarian, you know, parent because he sure. was a military man, and that's real fucking common. I have no trouble believing that he was constantly stressed out as a kid about nuclear war because that's what it was like growing up in the fifties on a military base. Right. Um, yeah. So that said, though, we're going to it, it, we're going to enter into a lot of areas where we have Bill's version of the of what happened and what's more likely to have happened. And they 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 diverge quite rapidly. So uh, Bill's relationship with his mother was a little more positive than his relationship with his father. He describes her as the kind of woman who used to be called a Southern Belle, the type of woman that men like to dream about when they're lonely. She's the kindest, gentlest woman I have ever known. Once she likes you, she cannot be driven away. She is loyal to a fault. Um, that, that'll become a little bit more relevant later too. So yeah, Bill was a high spirited, sensitive mama's boy who moved around too often to build strong ties. And one of the few constants in his youth was armed forces radio. Bill was obsessed with the emerging popular music of the day, particularly Sam Cooke. Moreover, he fell in love with the idea of being a DJ, which at the time was the guardian and arbiter of popular youth culture. Yeah. Wow. He and again, all of a sudden. It's kind of weird the extent to which Bill and my dad had the same childhood because my dad also grew up on military bases wanting to be a DJ and like doing that in high school and shit. Um, it was like the cool thing. Like it's not now, but at the time, like being a DJ was the coolest thing you could fucking be. Um, uh, Robert, are you suggesting it's not currently the coolest thing you could be? Because it still is. Ask the anyone coolest thing that I've you had can sex be with. is a white guy who does a podcast about politics. That's uh, okay. That's this that's is propaganda. That's what, this is the conspiracy theories are running. We don't like this. It's actually all. a popular QAnon belief is that mm -hmm. having a podcast is cool. You know what? Who definitely actually does think that having a podcast is cool? Who? The products and services that support this show. <laughs> They'd fucking better. <laughs> oh. oh, Lord in heaven.
The evidence keeps pouring in. At this point, the facts are undeniable. It's an open and shut case. Monopoly Go is the most fun you can have in a mobile game. Millions of people pass Go every day because this game is always bringing something new to the table. Countless crazy tournaments you can join with your friends as partners or teams. Constantly changing challenges like money sprees or treasure hunts that keep it fresh with new wild mini-games. Timed events offering bonuses like massive multipliers or rent frenzies to help you get huge rewards. And there's so many rewards to discover. Rare stickers you can trade with friends to complete albums. Delightful emojis to taunt people with when you raid their riches. Unique playing pieces and so much more. The verdict is in with Monopoly Go. There's something new to discover every time you play. So don't miss out. Go download it now for free on the App Store and Google Play. I'm Scott Weinberger, journalist and former deputy sheriff. In my new podcast series, Cold-Blooded, The Apollo Jim Murders, I'm embedded in the cold case investigation into the death of firefighter Billy Halpern. It's just a shame, you know, that they took him from us. Experience this investigation in a truly unique way. Knocking on doors, uncovering new evidence, including the DNA of a potential killer. Uh, My name is Danny Smith. I'm a detective uh, with the Miramar Police Department. This is Scott Weinberger. We're actually reopening an old case, and your name came up. Untangling secrets that may reveal the answers to not only one murder, but almost a dozen. I thought they were going to kill me, so I kept my mouth shut, and I didn't say anything. All these years, I didn't say anything. Listen to Cold-Blooded, The Apollo Jim Murders, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Are you ready to fight back against crime? Hi guys, Nancy Grace here, host of podcast Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. I've dedicated my life to fighting crime and helping crime victims. For a decade, I prosecuted violent felonies, personally investigating, prosecuting, and covering literally thousands of cases. It's so easy to think it will never happen to me or my family, but that is simply not true. Every day on Crime Stories with Nancy Grace, we shine a light on unsolved homicides, heat up cold cases, and help find missing people, especially children. We speak with family members, investigators, CSI, reporters, and experts in every field. Every day is a mission. Every day is a chance to stop crime and keep one more person safe. Listen to Crime Stories with Nancy Grace on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. I am the ferryman. In the shadows of the afterlife, the ferryman of souls guides America's most influential spirits to their eternal rest. Where are you taking me? Are you death? This road is not on any map. How much for a ticket? All I ask for in payment is a tale. I don't know who got to Kennedy first. And the devastation those first bombs caused. I've never been to hell, but I know intimately the hymns of the damned. All 12 episodes of The Passage are available now. Listen on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. We're back, uh, and I, I just I have some good news for everybody. We have a new face mask that we'll be selling in the Behind the Bastard store. Uh, it 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 just says FDA approved to prevent all diseases. Um, <laughs> so, you know, when we're as we're talking about cults, Jamie, 
I just mm-hmm. want everyone to know I am, in fact, doing everything I can to 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 get us violently raided by the Food and Drug Administration. Um, oh, good. That, that is the goal. So grab your kids, uh, take them to my compound in the mountains, put them in a basement, and we'll wait for the FDA to come firebomb us. Um, wow. Yep. 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 What a beautiful image. What a beautiful image. Yeah, we're 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 gonna make them do it. We're gonna we're gonna radicalize the FDA, Jamie. That's my goal. That would be kind of fun. That would be neat. Like so, fun radicalized with good outfits. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I don't know. Well, put the FDA in crop tops. See what happens. Uh, so, okay, fine. As long as as long as you know they're still like unaccountably violent. That's my 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 dream for the FDA. Oh, they're extremely violent. I'm just saying, yeah. like a cult that it, like a heaven's gate. You know, it's like they're. That, you know they have they have no morals, but also, you know they look nice. They match. Okay, okay, okay. We'll 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 talk about this more. We'll workshop this. So Bill was a uh, yeah Bill Bill as a as a kid on the military base like falls in love with the idea of being a DJ. Um, and at age sixteen, while he was living on Tachikawa Air Base near Tokyo, he got his very first radio show on the Armed Forces Network's Radio Teen program. Radio uh, Teen. Radio Cute. Teen. Bill would later write, quote, I was called the Mad Lad, and my theme song was Quiet Village by Martin Denny. And this is dork. Yeah, he's a huge dork. And it's the fact that he picks Quiet Village is really interesting because it is it is not the kind of song you might expect a 17 or a 16 year old to make his like introduction music when he comes on the fucking radio. Uh, It's like a song. It's a mournful ballad about lost love that starts with the lyrics, Alone in my quiet village I pray, you will be returning one day to me, return to me. Alone living with the memory of you, promising you'd always be true to me. Be true to me. Oh, good. So that's a little weird good, for 16-year-old Bill. Yeah, it's just like wait. like a bright eyes energy to it, <laughs> yeah. you know? It's like there's equivalents of this. <laughs> it's really unsettling. Like, you can, you can kind of tell, oh, Bill's not going to go good places yeah (laughs) Yeah, this isn't this isn't gonna end well okay so so he's intense cool very too yeah uh (laughs) so as a young dj bill finally felt the acceptance that had been cruelly denied to him by his father's constant travel he would later Mm -hmm. recall being elated that quote hundreds of teenagers all over japan were dancing to the music i spun on my little machines he managed to convince himself that millions of Chinese teens were also listening into his radio program, which Aww. could not have been true. Um, and that no. the communists had, ja- had jammed his signal to stop it, which Okay, this is didn't like happen. major yeah. DJ energy. It's like, no, yeah. it's just the people don't have access to it. Mm-hmm. They're... <laughs> If I I'm can gonna, just get it I out I can end there. communism if they can listen to my sad songs about quiet, like, villages and girls not liking me enough. Oh, my God. <laughs> uh, yeah, even at age 16, Bill was convinced that he had somehow become the target of a global communist movement, um, uh, <laughs> of the global communist movement, which is is funny. And again, yeah. he's probably just inventing this decades later, but also I wouldn't be surprised if at the time young Bill Cooper convinced himself the commies were trying to stop his his terrible radio show. So 
Teenaged Bill was convinced <laughs> that rock and roll music was the very best advertisement for capitalism possible. And to be honest, he was probably right about that. I was going like, to say, that, you, there's <laughs> actually yeah, something to yeah, that. That's yeah, actually pretty true. Especially at that true. time. Yeah. I, th- I think a oh, lot of whoa. like teenagers in Cuba got a really uh, un- unfairly rosy idea of American culture by listening to the Stones and shit. <laughs> I don't like I don't like the feeling of agreeing with him, but I, yeah. I'm, I'm on board for that one. <laughs> yeah, no, he's probably right about that. Um, yeah. now, you're, you're into the rock and roll. <laughs> so I, listen, I th- I'm very skeptical of this rock yeah. and roll music that the kids are listening to. I think it might be dangerous. <laughs> As an adult, Bill would mourn in his writing that Chuck Berry was thrown in jail for two years rather than being made Secretary of State, quote, like he should have been. Um, <laughs> So he believed Chuck Berry should have been the Secretary of State. And it's probably here that I... Do you know much about Chuck Berry, Jamie? <laughs> Not really, no. Great. Outside of who he is and yeah. what his music sounded like. Yeah, I mean, father of rock and roll, incredible yeah. musician, uh, historically an important musician. He was also thrown in jail for transporting a 14-year-old across state lines for immoral purposes oh, in violation of the Man Act. of in yeah. jail. Okay, <laughs> that, well... Yeah, like it wasn't a mild... It wasn't like a... Like it wasn't that they were just going after him to like shut down this rock and roller. He was he was sexually trafficking a teenage girl. I mean, to continue on my anti rock and roll <laughs> yeah. tirade, which rock artist of this era was not doing that? It was that like, is that is David very fair. We had some it, shit like yeah, that, but no one, well, but no one wants to talk about it. No, no one wants I to mean talk about it. Billy Joel didn't, but but that's the only one that I'll defend. we know of. I bet that it was just that. He, not that he didn't, that he couldn't. He would have been terrible at sex trafficking. He would have right. been really bad. <laughs> he would have been horrible at it. <laughs> so, uh, Joel can't be a good liar. No, no, he can't. Uh, he's he's an innocent man. So, in 1988, Chuck Berry was arrested again and charged for punching a woman in the face so hard she required stitches. Oh uh, he was God. also accused by multiple women and girls of filming them in the bathroom of his restaurant. So, I don't know. Maybe not the best pick for Secretary of State. Although, no. even with that resume, he would have been better than Kissinger. I was about to say, I'm like, there's yeah. been worse people there's who have been served worse. as yeah. Secretary of State. Oh, that's so depressing. There's truly not yeah. one rock legend that isn't the most horrifying person. On no, the they're, they were all monsters. It turns yeah. out when you like elevate mostly young teenage and 20 something men to like effectively living gods, uh, they do horrible, horrible things they repeatedly. They really have been known to take advantage of it. Yeah. Yeah. It turns out to be a bad call. Mm. So in 1962. Good thing we've learned yeah. from it, though. Yeah. We don't do that anymore. It doesn't um, happen anymore. No. It, and it never will again. Yeah, in 1962, 19-year-old Bill Cooper joined the Air Force. The Navy was his first choice, uh, but he got seasick easily, and he didn't think he'd be able to handle a career on a boat. Um, This will be slightly ironic later. Uh, Young Bill chose to enlist rather than joining as an officer, which surprised his family, because his family, you know, his military tradition had been officers. Um, Mm -hmm. He wound up going to a technical school outside of Amarillo, Texas, where he later claimed to have seen real atomic bombs. Quote, I worked around them on a daily basis because... Because of that, I had to wear a dosimeter just in case I was exposed to radiation. Bill's first gig was in the field maintenance squadron, watching after everyone's quarters and basically keeping their work area policed. It was a job that kept him alone a great deal of the time, and so he was sitting on his own in the barracks watching TV on the day that President John Fitzgerald Kennedy was shot by Bernard Montgomery Sanders. As Bill later wrote, quote, At that point, huge tears began to stream down my face. Waves of emotion rushed through my body. I felt that I had to do something, so I picked up the direct line to the command center. I choked back tears. When the command duty officer answered, I told him that the president 
president had just been shot in Dallas. There was a pause, and he asked me, how do you know he has been shot? I told him that I'd watched it on television and then hung up the phone. I was numb all over. It's a bummer. Okay. Yeah. You know, people, you know, it's just, so what? President Kennedy got shot. Get over it. Yeah, Every, by, yeah, by Bernie Sanders. Yes, that's yes, absolutely. T- Bernie yeah. Sanders did do it. I, yeah. I think I have actually brought this up on this show before, but it's my favorite fact, my favorite fun fact about the um, assassination of JFK, which is that Meatloaf was there. Yes, what? you did bring it up on yeah. the show. What? I think I, I love to bring there? it up. Meatloaf is like, 13 or 14 years old and he was like I guess he he lived in that area and he went like with his family to see that he was he was there so would we have bad out of hell had JFK lived we may not know that's a shame that we have bad out of hell Um, I know I'm I okay (laughs) I know that I famously hate rock and roll but I do kind of like Bad Out of Hell. Milo's a terrible person uh but you know what he was fine in Fight Club and Bad Out of Hell is pretty good yeah yeah and he probably I don't know. It had something to do with the JFK assassination. Anyway, I think yeah, he was uh, part of the youth, the, the the youth plot. Yeah, he was he was spotting for Bernie Sanders' sniper scope. Um, so <laughs> now, uh, Jamie, uh, yes. So you can kind of see in that little paragraph, like, and this is this is again from something that Bill writes decades later. But he's kind of like f- he's kind of like sprinkling into his life story these little bitty elements of conspiracy. Like mm-hmm. obviously he calls the duty officer, and the guy's like, "How did you know he'd been shot?" And like the, 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 nothing else happens, but there's this little insinuation that like you know Bill had kind of stumbled onto something a little bit, and like that'll happen repeatedly. That happens repeatedly in his narrative of his early life that he later publishes. Okay. Um, he'll he'll drop these little like if it, like he kind of he kind of frames it almost like a movie right where like he drops these little bitty hints about the vast conspiracy and his his childhood or like stories of his early life um and he does it really well like it's 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 good good storytelling um which is something that like bill has a real talent for is is telling stories because he's a great liar um yeah so uh, he also brought aliens into the mix in his 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 biography, but not in a yes. way not in a way that was super kooky. Um, this is this this part. This is the way he does this. I actually think is really effective as a storytelling tool. Um, quote: It was during this time when he was he was working um, in the Air Force that a couple of sergeants uh, kind of adopted me. We went out to clubs together and usually ended up chasing women and drinking a lot of beer. They told me several stories about being attached to a special unit that recovered crashed flying saucers. Sergeant Meese told me that he'd been on one operation that transported a saucer so large that a special team went before them, lowering all telephone poles and fence posts. Another team followed and replaced them. They moved it only at night. It was kept parked and covered somewhere off the road during the day. Since we were always half-tanked when these stories came out, I never believed them. Sergeants were known to tell some tall tales to younger guys like me. So that's a good that's a good way to kind of start sprinkling this shit into your narrative That's about really yourself. That's yeah. really smart. I feel like that doesn't yeah. come out come up enough of like well i wasn't totally sure at first it sounded a little weird sounded a little but but the more i listened there that's uh that that is effective storytelling yeah yeah, it's good storytelling yeah all right the assassination of president kennedy brought several more days of apocalyptic stress to young bill cooper the nation went to the brink of war with russia because nobody knew what the fuck was going on and bill spent his night sleeping under a b-52 loaded with nuclear munitions waiting for the order to go so again to understand bill cooper's mind state you have to understand this kid spent like the first several decades of his life sometimes literally sitting next to nuclear weapons knowing that like all human life could end (laughs) in moments it's like there's no moment of his life that he is not deeply stressed out 
Yeah, deeply stressed out and just waiting for the apocalypse to hit. Never like that's had his a moment's whole, peace. Yeah. This Milton. <laughs> yeah, yeah it's a it's a tough uh, it's a tough way to grow into being an adult. <laughs> sure, sure. Yeah. Oh, so uh, thankfully, the order to end all human life via nuclear annihilation never came. Uh, and in 1966, Bill got an honorable discharge from the Air Force. He immediately decided to join the Navy next, since his seasickness had apparently improved, and Bill was, you know, shipped <laughs> over to serve on a submarine in Hawaii. What does that mean? Um, he, Bill claims because apparently huh. his seasick seasickness improved is a very yeah. Funny thing the to way say. he describes it is like after four years in the Air Force, he was like, "I've always wanted to be in the Navy. Like, I'm not going to let. I'm going to. I'm going to." get over this this problem and do Fuck it i don't it. know yeah okay so bill he, like, bill joins the navy or something and was like this i was about to say it sounds yeah. like he, he bought a drugstore supplement yeah probably so bill claims he got along famously with all of his new comrades in hawaii uh including his best friend who bill takes great pains to inform us was a black sailor named lincoln loving um which i had there are actual people named lincoln loving so he might not have been making that name up it does kind of sound like the name a white guy would make up for a black sailor to be his best friend in the narrative of his life uh bill's other best friend was an american indian who he he doesn't give us the guy's real name but informs us that he was nicknamed geronimo um so i don't i can't say that bill's lying about this but maybe (laughs) i can i can say that i'm pretty sure he's lying about this this sounds yeah fake as hell yeah. Anyway, while Bill was stationed in Hawaii, he poisoned one of his shipmates. Uh, in fact, the guy who was the ship's cook. Now, Bill claims that this is because for no reason at all, the cook banned him from eating in the mess. Uh, and he also insists that the cook was a drunk and Bill was nobly worried he might endanger the other crew members while underway. Uh, Bill wrote, quote, I won't tell you what I laced his vodka with, but it wasn't anything you'd ever want to drink. Believe me, I kept that chief so sick he was transferred off the boat for medical reasons. I didn't want to hurt him, but it was either get rid of him or starve to death. I made up my mind that chief or no chief, I wasn't going to see on a boat that wouldn't feed me. Um, wow. So, Brave. real willing to poison his fellow sailors. <laughs> which is, I feel like this, it seems like maybe he had a, a real problem with this guy. I feel like most 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 people would have found a way to do that that didn't involve poisoning a man, but I don't right. know. I mean, listen, desperate times. Desperate times. Sometimes you gotta poison a guy. Um, at any rate, the Navy was only ever supposed to be a stepping stone on Bill's way to achieving a bizarre and, in my opinion, pointless dream. He wanted to be the first member of his family to serve in all four branches of the armed forces, which is a weird dream. Um, Isn't that like kind of a like that's just like what if I went to four high schools? Like, what is the yeah. point of that? Is yeah, there any like, honor in that? <laughs> it's like the EGOT, but you've always are doing shitty jobs, uh, and it's not a, at all like the EGOT because they'll take anyone pretty much. Um, okay, yeah, interesting irrational goal. But anyway, uh, he never got to do this because by the time he was near the end of his four years in the Navy, the Vietnam conflict had really started to heat up, uh, and Bill requested deployment to a combat zone, and the Department of Defense was like, "Absolutely, we keep getting all these guys killed." So yeah, like <laughs> you, you, you're more than welcome to go to vietnam bill (laughs) okay cool Uh, um so bill was sent to a naval support unit in the qua viet river uh quang tri province uh and this was a really dangerous posting bill's job was to captain a riverboat um motoring up and down the river this This is he's in his 20s it sounds like he's been alive for a hundred years already yeah he's in his 20s okay um yeah and he's have you watched apocalypse now 
Yes. You know the you know the, the like a huge chunk of it they're on that boat with the machine guns that get shot at repeatedly. Yes. That's Bill's job. Like Bill does that for real. Um Okay. And it's it's a really it's one of the most dangerous gigs you could have in Vietnam. Like cuz you're on these like fiberglass boats that are basically big moving targets that have no armor on them. <laughs> so it's mm-hmm. it's it's a bad it's a dangerous gig. Um it's a bad, whatever that's, el- that's a bad vibe. Okay. Yeah, yeah, whatever else you can say about him and we'll, we're going to say mostly bad things about him bill cooper saw some shit um his best friend during training was a guy named bob Barron, and both men made a pact to drink a bottle of scotch in the other man's memory if they died in battle uh bob shipped out first and he was killed almost immediately um well treat for bill (laughs) treat for bill um bill cooper felt that now vietnam was quote a personal war they had killed a part of me um, he claims that mm-hmm. once he reached the river, his boat engaged the enemy more times than any uh, bo- other boat that ever patrolled that river. We kept the em- enemy off the river, and I never lost another man. I can't tell you if that's true. He's almost certainly exaggerating. But he won awards and stuff for gallantry under fire. He had a really he, he did some shit in Vietnam, um, mm-hmm. and it's it's probably fair to say that. Bill's service in Vietnam was the only time where his like imagination of who he was as a person came close to being the real thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, Vietnam is in some ways a really positive experience for Bill, but he also walks away from it horribly, horribly traumatized. And obviously, he's a man who grew up in the 50s to a father who was incapable of having emotional conversations. And Bill grows into an adult with combat trauma and no no capacity to deal with it in any in any way mm-hmm. um but his service earned him a promotion uh, to the Office of Naval Intelligence in Hawaii, where he worked on the briefing team for Admiral Bernard Clary, commander of the U.S. Pacific Fleet. Uh, in order to do this job, Bill's security clearance was upgraded to top secret Q, sensitive compartmentalized information. Q? Yeah, yeah. Is that yeah. Q I hear? Yeah, yeah. That's where, and that's where QAnon comes from, is like Q is a level of, of military intelligence classification. Mm, um, I thought it was just a spicy consonant. I no, love to learn. No, no. Bill Cooper is clearly cute. No, he's not, because spoilers, <laughs> he dies violently. But um, yeah, so uh, g- giving Bill Cooper any kind of security clearance would prove to be one of the worst mistakes the U.S. Navy ever made, uh, second only to its continued failure to finally destroy the city of Boston. Bill mm-hmm. Cooper was a competent seaman, but giving him access to top-secret information was a, a really bad decision. Be- not because Bill was a spy or because he would in any way reveal actual secret information, but because he was exactly the sort of guy who knew how to dine out for the rest of his life on the lies that his position with Admiral Clary allowed him to tell. He I'm later really wrote, trying quote, to not act on... The fact what? that you said competent seaman. I'm sorry, I, I oh, stopped listening. For I thought you were going to defend the city of Boston because I know you're from that whole eastern chunk of the country. Listen, there is no defending the city of Boston. I'm glad we <laughs> agree on this, Jamie. There's no, I mean, <laughs> by all means, watch Patriots Day on Netflix. Yeah. It's in the top 10 right now. And um, I can't watch it because it will uh, give me PTSD. But we'll give you PTSD. It'll give me just Mark Wahlberg. Really, no, I'm kidding. Yeah. Um, I just no. There's add, no defending like, the city of the Boston. Celtics I stopped real trying. quick. Just fuck the okay, Celtics. <laughs> fuck the Celtics. Just you real know what? Quick, just throwing it. Do you want to get beat up by my uncle, Sophie? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> what kind of? 
My uncle will will kick all. No, I'm kidding. He, my uncle's a grifter. He's pretending to be on disability, but he's not. Ooh, what's that? <laughs> That's my machete that I'm holding because uh, nobody can take. Oh, me. there's your machete. <laughs> my I'm gonna challenge our sleuths a- at home to figure out who Jamie's uncle is and report him to <laughs> disability fraud. Jeez, I mean, talk about a guy. If we're talking about good liars, someone uh, talk to my uncle. He's so, a. Do you oh want to know Bill who's not this. Jamie's uncle? <laughs> this is the worst, oh, is it time for that already? This is the worst transition I've yeah. ever done. I'm so sorry, but also fuck the Boston Celtics. You, know, you want to know who won't tell on you for committing disability fraud? Who? <laughs> the products and services that support this podcast. Oh, thank God. My family really can't handle another <laughs> situation like this. The evidence keeps pouring in. At this point, the facts are undeniable. It's an open and shut case. Monopoly Go is the most fun you can have in a mobile game. Millions of people pass Go every day because this game is always bringing something new to the table. Countless crazy tournaments you can join with your friends as partners or teams. Constantly changing challenges like money sprees or treasure hunts that keep it fresh with new wild mini games. Timed events offering bonuses like massive multipliers or rent frenzies to help you get huge rewards. And there's so many rewards to discover. Rare stickers you can trade with friends to complete albums, delightful emojis to taunt people with when you raid their riches, unique playing pieces, and so much more. The verdict is in with Monopoly Go. There's something new to discover every time you play. So don't miss out. Go download it now for free on the App Store and Google Play. I'm Scott Weinberger, journalist and former deputy sheriff. In my new podcast series, Cold-Blooded, The Apollo Jim Murders, I'm embedded in the cold case investigation into the death of firefighter Billy Halper. Just a shame, you know, that they took him from us. Experience this investigation in a truly unique way, knocking on doors, uncovering new evidence, including the DNA of a potential killer. Uh, My name is Danny Smith. I'm a detective uh, with Miramar Police Department. This is Scott Weinberger. We're actually reopening an old case, and your name came up. Untangling secrets that may reveal the answers to not only one murder, but almost a dozen. I thought they were going to kill me, so I kept my mouth shut, and I didn't say anything. All these years, I didn't say anything. Listen to Cold-Blooded, The Apollo Jim Murders on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Are you ready to fight back against crime? Hi guys, Nancy Grace here, host of podcast Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. I've dedicated my life to fighting crime and helping crime victims. For a decade, I prosecuted violent felonies, personally investigating, prosecuting, and covering literally thousands of cases. It's so easy to think it will never happen to me or my family, but that is simply not true. Every day on Crime Stories with Nancy Grace, we shine a light on unsolved homicides, heat up cold cases, and help find missing people, especially children. We speak with family members, investigators, CSI, reporters, and experts in every field. Every day is a mission. Every day is a chance to stop crime and keep one more person safe. Listen to Crime Stories with Nancy Grace on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. I am the ferryman. In the shadows of the afterlife, the ferryman of souls guides America's most influential spirits to their eternal rest. Where are you taking me? Are you death? This road is not on any map. How much for a ticket? 
All I ask for in payment is a tail. I don't know who got to Kennedy first. And the devastation those first bombs caused. I've never been to hell, but I know intimately the hymns of the damned. All 12 episodes of The Passage are available now. Listen on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. We're back. We're back. My, my family, We're the last back. time my family no, went to not. court, we all had to testify that my grandma had thrown a TV at my grandpa. So don't talk about the city of Boston. Right? <laughs> Bill Cooper God, thinks he's very Boston shit. story. Watch your grandma throw a Roku at your grandpa. Mm-hmm. See how you like it. A Roku. <laughs> oh, Jesus. So uh, Bill gets this job working for the Admiral and he gets top secret security clearance about it. And he uses the fact that he had this gig for the rest of his life to kind of make the lies that he will later tell about the U.S. government um, to give them like an air of truth. Um, As he later wrote, quote, I began to see things at first that made no sense to me. President Nixon was on television giving a speech, an incredible speech, saying that we were conducting no bombing raids in North Vietnam, Cambodia, and Laos. Five minutes later, intelligence came into the office with KIA figures of sorties over exactly the targets Nixon said the Americans weren't bombing. I would shake my head and wonder what in the world was going on here. That wasn't right. I never never said anything at the time. Most of us never did. I never imagined the people in charge of the country would lie to the people like that. I was raised to think that this was impossible. Now, that part may or may not have been true. The bombing raids he's talking about happened, uh, but it was also common knowledge by the time he actually wrote about them. His biographer, Mark Jacobson, seems to believe in this part and think that it was kind of a turning moment for Bill where he starts to distrust the government in a real way. Um, But once his career as a conspiracy theorist got going, Bill started focusing on other things he'd seen in the Admiral's file cabinet. Uh, First and foremost was evidence that President Kennedy had been assassinated by his own Secret Service agent, William Greer. This was a remarkable feat. True, yeah. Yeah, because number one, it was Bernie Sanders. And number two, Greer was driving JFK's limo at the point the president was shot. And Bill had this like (laughs) weird conspiracy theory of like a shellfish toxin pellet gun that was built into the body of, I think, an umbrella. Um, But for the rest of his life when Bill would be like talking about government conspiracies he'd say like I saw the evidence of it in the Admiral's filing cabinet and like he would say that about fucking everything. Sounds like a Um, game of Clue. So this job is very fortunate for Bill Cooper because he did have a security clearance at one point and he basically yeah it would would allow him to lie for the rest of his life about having seen evidence of like evil government plots. um, That kind of reminds me of like when I guess I guess in context to my life when someone like works on a TV show that's good but they do nothing but that then they associate themselves with that TV show for the rest of their lives. Yeah. So yeah. Bill Cooper, like, kind of for an, for uh, sort of an example of the way Bill would later frame his relatively brief period of time working as basically the admiral secretary. Um, I'm going to quote from a speech he gave at Hollywood High School in 1989. Wow. Um, yeah. No. <laughs> it's weird. It's weird that that got to happen, huh? <laughs> Every time it sounds like a fake place, but yeah. it's a real place. Right away, I knew I was seeing what I was not supposed to see. Material never intended for my eyes. The secrets were there. What had been covered up, the treasonous betrayal. I looked right into the heart of it. Everything about the war was in there. The story behind the alleged attack by the Vietnamese Navy in the Gulf of Tonkin, the death counts, the Americans dealing with corrupt South Vietnamese government. That's what I learned in Vietnam. I thought I was fighting for my country, and I found out I was really fighting for big business, the coming one-world government, Cooper told the audience. It was a devastating realization. This is from his biography, Pale Horse Writer. So 
Bill continued to do his job in the Navy, but when the time came up to either sign up for four more years or leave, he opted to quit this time. Soon, Bill was back in the mainland United States without a job for the first time in his adult life. And he'd kind of grown up obsessed with the idea of, like, living, you know, like kind of a stereotypical Americana life, you know, living in like Mm -hmm. a small town with like a close knit community. Um, And that was when he gets back to the U.S., he winds up in like the the California, like big cities in California, like the fucking Bay Area and stuff. And he's like, this is so different than like what life is supposed to be like in America. Something must have gone horribly wrong. And people who knew Bill as a kid will point out like, Bill never knew the like quote unquote like real America that he would spend the rest of his life obsessed with living. He like lived on military bases. He never knew right. small town so America or any of that. It was shit. just what yeah. like a projection of like the media he was consuming. Yes, as a kid. exactly, yeah. exactly. Like he grew up having this kind of miserable childhood and longing for you know the uh, the kind of America he saw on the television, which never really existed anywhere. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. Sad. So. Uh, yeah, Bill winds up in the Bay Area. He gets a job as a uh, a diving instructor. He buys a motorcycle, and he attempts to lead a normal life. Um, but as Bill would later claim, his sense of guilt and outrage over the things he'd learned had overpow- would overpower him. So he like he later claims that basically he's he's he leaves the military with the knowledge of all these horrible secrets. You know these these evil programs that the government is instituting to the filing uh, cabinet. Yeah, yeah, his th- this evil filing cabinet full of secret government. <laughs> government plans to suborn the liberty of the American people and destroy freedom. Um, And so he decides to start like going after he claims um, that he goes to a reporter and like starts giving him the information that he's gotten. um, And he's trying to like basically do what Woodward and Bernstein you know, did and be like a deep throat to them to like reveal all these horrible government conspiracies. Um, And when he's midway through this process, he's tracked down and he's almost murdered by government men. Now, Bill claims that this happened while he was on his motorcycle driving on Skyline Boulevard. Uh, A black Cadillac limousine pulled up behind him and ran him off the road. Uh, Bill would later write, quote, two men got out and climbed down to where I lay covered in blood. One bent down and felt for my carotid pulse. The other asked if I was dead. The nearest man said, no, but he will be. The other replied, good, then we don't have to do anything. Now, I feel Bill, like that lie could have used a second draft. Yeah, I, I think it, he could have used an editor on that one. Yeah. <laughs> um, so Bill claims he recovered only to be run down a month later by the same Cadillac. And this time the assassination was closer to a success. They damaged his right leg badly enough that it had to be amputated above the knee. In the um, same car? Yeah, same car, same limousine. Yeah. Sure, sure, sure. Yeah. Uh, and while he was in the hospital recuperating, Bill claims the same government men came to visit him again. They only wanted to know if I would shut up or if the next time should be final. I told them that I I would be a very good little boy and that they needn't worry about me anymore. Kinky. Now, obviously, these are all lies. Bill's motorcycle (laughs) accident had a completely mundane explanation. He lost control of his bike and almost died horribly as a result of the fact that he was a bad motorcycle driver. Um... (laughs) Yeah, and this is like what his family, like his dad, when this got brought up to him, his dad was like, what the fuck is he talking about? It wasn't the government. Like he was, he fucked up and crashed his motorcycle. <laughs> and like, I had to pay for his medical bills because he would have been bankrupted otherwise. Oh um, my God. And this was part of why Bill lied about this was because his relationship with his dad was strained and he couldn't like admit that he'd needed his family's money for a medical issue, especially one he'd caused himself. So it was the government. Yeah. Um <laughs> Oh, yeah. buddy, I, lo- I love his little softcore yeah. line about I'm going to be a good little boy be no a matter good little what boy. you do. Yeah, that is that is Ooh, sexy, objectively that is sexy. sexy. Yeah. 
Little so, Jackie in, I'll be a good little boy. <laughs> <laughs> Jamie. What? <laughs> oh, the sorry mid- for blowing your mind with my amazing ideas, Robert. <laughs> I, I think you need to get off the Skype call right now and start writing. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I'm sorry. I have a final draft file to take yeah. care of. And that was, that was the last time any of us ever talked to Jamie. She was too big a star after making her Bill Cooper pornography video. <laughs> Jamie died of brain failure four pages into I'll Be Good. <laughs> there. Uh, So the mid-1970s and early 1980s were a real rough period for Bill. Um, Mm -hmm. He had a fucking shitload of PTSD. He was missing most of a leg. Like, he's in a bad place. The 70s aren't a good time for Bill. Um, And medical science didn't really formally recognize post-traumatic stress disorder as a thing until it was added to the DSM in, like, 1980. Um, Mm -hmm. So for most of the time that Bill was struggling with it, um, the term was used as post-Vietnam syndrome when, like, doctors believed it was a problem at all. Um, And in the U.S. in the 1970s, it wasn't, like, a very welcome place to admit you were struggling with mental health issues related to your military service. Right. Bill wasn't didn't talk about this shit to anyone for quite a while. Um, he's just burying his trauma with the what's certainly even more PTSD from a horrible motorcycle accident. He it, he's he's a damaged boy, um, right. and I I'm saying that in the knowledge that that should not at all. Um, mitigate what comes next because we're going to talk about um his incredibly long history of profound spousal abuse uh so we don't know how many women that bill cooper married in the 70s um what yeah we have no idea um it's a lot it's too many women (laughs) so how can that be true how can you uh, not know yeah because he was a famous liar (laughs) oh oh yeah maybe making up what? Well, no, 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 no. He, we, we know he had a number of them. It's just that we don't know how many of them there were because he lied about to all of them about the others and wouldn't oh acknowledge God. them. And, yeah, we'll talk about it. This will make more sense in a little bit. Okay. Um, his biographer writes, quote, in his voluminous FBI file, Cooper's father, Jack, is quoted as saying that his son had been married or engaged at least nine times. According to Jack, Bill was still in high school when he got engaged to a 17-year-old Japanese girl. The elder mm-hmm. Cooper had to break it up. A year later, living on Tinker Air Force Base near Oklahoma City, Cooper again got engaged to another young Asian woman. Now, Bill's marriages weren't kept secret to protect his exes or whatever kind of super cool spy explanation he probably would have preferred people believe. The ugly reality is that, especially as an adult after his military service, Bill was wildly unstable and violent, and living with him was a waking nightmare for most of the women that he married. Um, He kept his prior relationships hidden because nobody would want to marry a guy with Bill's history. Um, In 1976, he got hitched to Janice Pell, um, who told Bill's biographer later that I was number four, I think. So again, no Nobody has a real clear idea, even his wives, of like how many people he married. Um, Good Lord. Okay. But he gets married a shitload. Uh, quote, I had no idea what I was getting into. One minute he'd be the sweetest, warmest guy. Then he'd change, start yelling at me for no reason. It was like living with Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. We were living in Union City near Hayward. Bill was working in Oakland at the diving school. He'd get up at six to drive to work. I tried so hard to be a good wife. Every day I'd clean, make dinner for him. I set a nice table waiting for him to come home. In the beginning, he'd rush home, give me a kiss, bring flowers. It was great. Then he got home later and later. It could be after 10 or midnight. Sometimes he didn't come home at all. I'd be beside myself, trying to figure out if he was all right. It was really awful. I'd sit there at the dinner table looking at the cold food and cry my eyes out. When he did come back, he'd say he was tired and go straight to bed. I didn't understand what was happening. I thought it was all my fault. 
Now, there's a number of possibilities about like what Bill was doing at the time. He very well may have been cheating, probably was cheating because he was constantly had a carousel of women kind of going. Um, <laughs> he also had like a bunch of really unsuccessful business ventures. He had an art gallery that failed. So maybe his fucked up career was it on his mind. Like fucking Mickey yeah. Rooney. He's, he's yeah. terrible. It's bad. And he was also he was also an alcoholic and increasingly yeah. like uh, an increasingly like vicious drunk during this period of time. So he was probably out drinking a lot of the time. And Janice described him as a monster when he was drinking. Quote, mm. he'd get abusive mentally and after a while physically. I tried to make excuses for him. The war, his leg. He always told me the men in the car would come back to finish the job. One day he hit me, gave me a bloody nose, knocked me out. I called the hotline. They told me to get out of there. Tony was just a little baby then. The next day we drove Bill to work and just kept going. We moved in with my parents in Los Altos. I only saw him one more time after that, when he drove up to get his stuff. I thought he might stay a moment, talk to his son, but he just got the things and left. And Bill, we don't actually know how many kids Bill had either, but they all kind of have the same story as this one, where like he he'll have a couple of kids or a kid with one of these women, and then he will be a violent monster, and she will flee with the kid, and Bill never tries to reach out again. Um, God, that is yeah. so fucking miserable. It's not good. It's not great. It's not a good way to be a person. Um, And it is like you look at Bill's history and again, not to mitigate the profound spousal abuse, but it's like, yeah, hard to imagine how this guy grows up good at being in a relationship. I mean, yeah, impossible (laughs) for him to be good in relationships. I just, oh God, I hate that. I hate that there's so many victims of that. Jesus Yeah, a ton of victims. Janice's story is probably very similar to a number of Bill's unknown number of wives. Uh, It's important to note that the monster Bill could take quite a while to come out, and he was very good at charming women um, in the meantime, as the story of his ex-wife Sally illustrates. Mm. Bill and I started talking. I liked him, but he was smoking. I told him smoke really bothered me. I'm allergic. He looked me right in the eye, said, all right, and crushed his cigarette into the ashtray. He said he'd been smoking since he was 14, a couple of packs a day. But for me, he was going to quit. I asked him when. He pointed to the cigarette in the tray and said, I already did. He never smoked another cigarette as long as I knew him. We started dancing. He had this kind of old world formality about him, that military thing, I suppose. He was a very graceful dancer, very light on his feet for a big guy. It wasn't until later that I realized he had an artificial leg. You would never have guessed it. Plus, he made me laugh. He was zany, always acting out these incredible stories. He did these funny impressions. I love to hear him talk. It didn't make a difference what the topic was. He knew everything about it. He had this tone in his his voice. It just draws you in. You can hear it on the radio. He was perfect for that. We got married on Catalina on the steps of the Wrigley Mansion. The party was at El Galleon. Bill planned the whole thing, told the band what to play. It was great. But then he started drinking and picking fights. I guess that should have been a sign. My girlfriend said I was crazy to marry him, but I really loved him. So, wow, I hate yeah. it. Yeah, it's not great. It's I not great. It. I hate him. And it's I, I'm trying it just in kind of trying to classify Bill. I don't know that I I don't know that he's what you'd call a predator because I don't think I don't think he had a whole lot of control over what he was doing. I think he was a, a pretty broken person, but he also didn't go to like extreme measures to win back the women who left him. Like when he when he violently chased them away, he would just kind of pretend they'd never existed. Move on to the next person. I mean, that's still like pretty clear yeah, I, I mean abuser, it's horrible but... yeah yeah definitely an abuser but i don't he's not like i don't think he's like seeking women out and like trying to psychologically fuck them up. like i don't think there's any kind of like planning in it i think bill is one of these people who has 
like violent mood swings and no control over them and no desire to really control them. Yeah, just um, a deeply yeah. selfish, broken person. Yes, yes, type. yes, yeah. absolutely. I just, yeah, it, 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 that's the that's that's the feeling you get from him. His mood s- swings seem to come more or less at random. Um, and probably was a a mix of a number of things. Um, he was also like working a pretty unsatisfying life at this time, a lot, series of horrible dead end jobs, repeated failed business schemes. And you get the feeling he was taking that out on his family as well. Um, but he also took it out on everyone around him at one of these dead end jobs. Bill got into an argument with his boss and punched through a plate glass window to try and strangle him. Um, so he is not a, not a, not a planner. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> no, it sounds like he life. really is just flying yeah. by the seat of his pants at every turn. Yeah, punching through a plate glass window is not something you do if you're thinking a lot about your violence. <laughs> so he was let go from that job. Uh, and obviously money was always tight uh, because Bill repeatedly got fired from jobs for being a violent piece of shit. Um, oh, sure. yeah. yeah, and also he couldn't stop from getting the women that he was with pregnant, so he got Sally pregnant, like, you know, pretty much as soon as they get married. Oh, uh, their daughter... Semen. Yeah, competent semen. Um, their daughter, Jessica, uh, again, like, we don't know how many kids he had. Um... Yeah, Sally later recalled, quote, he was the most loving, attentive dad. He'd play with Jessica for hours. He seemed so happy. But then just like that, he'd go off, start yelling. I blamed it on the drinking, but it was more than that. It was like he became possessed, not in control of himself. I'd tense up every time he came into the room. One night when Jessica was little, we went to Chuck E. Cheese's. Bill was drinking. He got abusive, calling me names. <laughs> I, okay. I mean, that is something that happens at Chuck E. Cheese. I mean, no lot. no, no one's going to be sober. I would, I would be more worried about, no, wait. I don't want to make that reference because um, that's bad. Listen, I was as someone joke who that, like, still has birthday yeah. parties at Chuck E. Cheese's, no one is sober and no one is getting along. <laughs> yeah, no no one should get along. I don't know. I don't want to... This story goes in a bad place, so I don't want to make the the drinking jokes about Chuck E. Cheese's that normally like are a real positive part of my life. I love I loved talking about what a bad place Chuck E. Cheese's is, but this, this story is real dark. Hard <laughs> this disagree. Is, this okay. is one of the worst Chuck E. Cheese's stories I've ever heard. And that's saying something. <laughs> yeah. Bill was drinking. He got really abusive, calling me names. I told him I'd had enough to stop the car, let us out. I was holding Jess on my lap. We didn't deal with seatbelts like today. I opened the door to go when Bill turned and pushed me and Jess out of the car with his artificial leg. It was like getting hit by a four by four. We went flying. I was okay, but then I looked and Jess's tiny face was all cut up. So he kicks oh. his wife and infant daughter out of a moving vehicle after getting drunk at Chuck E. Cheese's. Um, Jesus Christ. This yeah. is why they have a two-drink cap now, <laughs> yeah, first of all. It's Bill Cooper. That's the Bill Cooper rule of Chuck E. Cheese's. That is so, that is so very upsetting and very yeah, horrible. Yeah, it's, it's bad. It's real and bad. And yeah. not the first time that has happened at a Chuck E. Cheese. Not the 50th time that's happened at a Chuck E. Cheese. No. No. For reasons that are probably too depressing to think about, Sally didn't leave for good after that. She set up a meeting between her, Bill, and their pastor to try to talk things out. And the subject of the conversation quickly turned to Vietnam. And Bill, as soon as like the pastor kind of started asking him questions about his service, Bill got violently angry. He started screaming and became so incensed that Sally's pastor had to call the VA to come and pick him up. Um, so the couple splits in like 1982 and during this time Bill's going to Long Beach College it, trying to make use of his GI Bill and he spends a lot of time there like this is kind of the first time in the early 80s after his his this marriage ex breaks apart where he mm-hmm. starts to kind of deal with his PTSD um, by writing about it so he, 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 he does like essays and stuff about 
um, what like he and other veterans are kind of experiencing. One of his essays. I mean, that's from this more period, than most people were doing yes. at that time. He does, to an extent, try to process his trauma. He writes an essay titled Vietnam, Are We Still Suffering Casualties 10 Years Later? Um, And in it, he wrote, quote, On the campus of Long Beach City College, a specter reaps its harvest. Ghastly, it stalks the future of those who know its past. Any of us who have stood against it and survived. The demon strikes down dreams, educations, and even minds. It is insidious in nature and rides upon an undercurrent of memories, ignorance, and fear. It is not dead as many believe, nor is it a figment of the imagination. It is as real, as real as the earth we walk upon. He's writing about his PTSD. And he's right, yeah. Writing pretty well about it, actually. Like Bill's not a bad writer. Um, and he, he sure uh, isn't. no. And he one of the th- interesting th- things that happens during this time is he meets a young Vietnamese refugee at Long Beach College and gets to like interview her. And he has this realization that like when he was the way he later described it is like he realized that if he'd encountered this woman when she was a young girl in Vietnam, he probably would have shot her. And this like really fucks. So like Bill's. You can't over ex- exaggerate how much Vietnam fucks this man up. How much PTSD? <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, which yeah. is which is you know like a story for a lot of people. Oh yeah. god, it's just horrible. Yeah, and you know to be fair, a lot of people who don't kick their wife and infant child out of a moving car. So like, <laughs> yeah, no, not it is try. not yeah. a certainty that you will then do that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, oh, um, wow. yeah, but. Yeah, it, it's a rough, like, Bill is, it, and this will become really appropriate because of the man he grows into, Bill is, like, the fucking poster child for how badly American imperialism fucks up young men, uh, the young it men who like are asked like to so enforce it. There's, like, so many levels, yeah. too, of, like, how yeah. American imperialism fucks you up, how, like, PTSD fucks you up, how, like, the expectation based on, like, media yeah. and, like, expectations versus reality fuck you up. There's yeah. no... There's no limit on ways that this guy's fucked up. It's a case study. A lot of lessons in the story of Bill Cooper. So Bill gets married again in 1986, and that worked out about as well as you'd expect. By the tail end of the Reagan years, uh, he had nearly two basketball teams of failed marriages in their rear window, a head full of bad memories, and no real prospect for work. The future looked bleak. Yeah. (laughs) Um, So the future looked bleak for Bill, but then. In 1988, Jamie, there came Uh a single shaft of brilliant sunlight. Bill Cooper discovered the internet. (laughs) No! (laughs) I know! I know the worst thing that could have happened to this man. That's the worst thing. Oh, no. Confirmation of of every horrible thought he's ever had in his life? Yeah. It's it's, it's unfortunate that things timed out that way. Yeah, he was, Bill Cooper was one of the very first people on the internet. Yeah. Um, Like, one of the very first human beings to really get into it. Um, And the late 1980s internet was a real different beast than the modern one. There was nothing that really worked like social media, but there were BBSs, which were essentially forums. So if you remember what forums were, if you can can think back to a time before Facebook, Bill's kind of into that sort of thing. Um, And he he quickly discovers Paranet, which was dedicated to the paranormal, particularly UFOs. And yeah, so Bill gets super fucking into UFOs um, and into this community of like UFO nerds and like really the first online community of UFO nerds that exists. Yeah, um, this is such early internet shit. It's like yeah. every annoying couple in their 40s met on an internet forum. Yeah, just yeah, exactly. 
Yeah, though legally as well. Yeah. Um, that's in the Constitution. So Mark <laughs> Jacobson suggests that flying saucers and sort of like belief in UFOs was, quote, the first populist truther issue, the first time the authorities denied something that a large percentage of the population believed to be true. And this is probably accurate. Uh, in A Culture of Conspiracy, scholar Michael Barkun notes, quote, within a few months of the first modern claim of a flying saucer sighting in 1947, polls showed that 90% of the population had heard of them. By 1966, that figure had risen to 96%. And more importantly, 46% of all Americans believed UFOs actually existed. More than a decade later, in 1978, 30% of college graduates believed they existed. At that time, the number of Americans who believed UFOs were real reached its highest level, 57%. Now, wow. By 1990, the number of UFO true believers had actually fallen to about 47%, and it was still at around that level six years later. And this suggests that the internet didn't so much allow for the spread of a a belief in UFOs as it did help to make those beliefs kind of more durable by building communities for people like Bill to explore and expand on existing theories. Mm -hmm. And this allowed for very different kinds of conspiracy theories to merge. For example, there had always been stories about an alien crash landing in Roswell since like 1947. Um, and there'd also been conspiracy theories, uh, theorists who believe that JFK had been murdered by someone besides the widely accepted culprit, who is, of course, Bernard Sanders. Bernard uh, Sanders, yeah, with, yeah, with yeah. accomplice meatloaf. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And then starting in the mid 1980s, there was Majestic 12. And in brief, Majestic 12 conspiracy theory purported to be a set of briefing documents for the incoming newly elected president, informing him of the existence of a secret organization of the world's dozen most powerful people. MJ 12 is like the first hidden global government conspiracy theory. Um, Okay. And it was formed in the wake of the Roswell land. Like this, this hidden global government was supposedly had been formed in the wake of the Roswell landings to deal with the newfound existence of aliens. Now, the initial claims of the MJ-12 conspiracy theory were rather basic because this document actually was only like, I think, a dozen pages or something. But once mm-hmm. MJ-12 hit the Internet in the late 1980s, a funny thing started to happen. Conspiracy theorists began grafting their pet conspiracy theories onto MJ-12, writing in the JFK assassination and the Tonkin Gulf incident, which you know was the spark behind the Vietnam War, and a bunch of other shady stuff into the machinations of the Majestic 12. Now, the most successful of these conspiracy fan fiction authors was a fellow named John Lear, the son of a guy, of the guy who created the Learjet. Lear's theory was that the leaders of the U.S. had made a devil's bargain with aliens back in the 1960s to hand over American Ooh. citizens and cattle to them for ex- mutilation and experimentation in exchange for technology. But the Funky. aliens... Yeah, yeah. Th- this is this is the X Files, right? Like this is right. actually like this is literally what the X like John Lear and then the work that Bill Cooper does with Lear is the inspiration for all of the X Files. Credence Clearwater um, revival playing in the background of this devil's deal with the aliens. Yeah, this is yeah. good. I feel like I'm there. Yeah, yeah. So you know, Lear, Lear and Cooper once they got together would kind of argue that actually the Majestic Twelve um, were had were kind of getting like. grifted by the aliens that like the technology they were getting wasn't very good and the aliens were way more brutal with their abductions than they were supposed to be Um, and so like the conspiracy evolves under Lear into like claiming that the allies in the military had balked at this this like agreement with the aliens and that was what led to the creation of the strategic defense initiative reagan's star wars missile program sure i'm following Um, this 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 is all making sense to me 
And what's happening is the internet is is making conspiracy theories had largely been sort of spread by kind of you know there'd be some underground newsletters and stuff, but also people would just kind of spread these these fake documents that were purporting to be like the and this is like throughout the eighties these documents that were claimed to be like you know evidence of one conspiracy or another, and the internet brings all starts to bring all this shit together. So like yeah, all you these, can like yeah. take your take your cork take it from your cork board and really start to compare some ideas. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I'm gonna quote from the book. A culture of conspiracy on sort of what hat like the impact of of John Lear's uh, uh, what's called the Lear statement, which is like his personal theory about MJ-12. The Lear statement is brief, only seven printed pages, but dizzying in its claims. It elevates MJ-12 to a conspiratorial position nowhere hinted at in the original papers themselves. It implies a web of subsidiary conspiracies to silence the news media with that and the academic community and to mislead the UFL community as well. According to Lear, UFOlogist William Moore, the figure most identified with the MJ-12 papers was probably himself a disinformation agent in the hire of MJ-12. So, you you also start to see like what's essentially like this big over conspiracy that's being created like it's not just it's not just aliens exist it's not just there's a secret world government it's not just jfk was killed you know um by the cia or whoever it's like all of these things are part of this massive branching and possibly influential conspiracy what you're seeing is the precursor for the kind of conspiracy that QAnon is right Right. like this is when that first starts happening and bill cooper is one of the guys on the ground making it happen he's one of the most most influential people in this early little online community. Um, and, you know, Bill had kind of just started by sharing tales of, of aliens and stuff uh, in Paranet, um, but he very quickly graduated into, like, writing about Lear's work and adding conspiracies to it. And Lear and Cooper soon, like, become friends and start talking and start working together on, like, expanding kind of people's idea of what a conspiracy could be. Um, and here's how... romantic in a way. It, it, it'll be less so in just a second. Cooper's okay. biographer actually interviewed Lear um, pretty recently, uh, and Lear was very old at the time. But here's how Lear described the two men's early friendship. I heard there was this guy on Paranet who was supporting what I said, Bill Cooper. He was writing into the bulletin board saying he'd worked in the Office of Naval Intelligence and see this incredible amount of top-secret material, and he could vouch for, word for word, 50% of what I said. Lear and Cooper spent a lot of time together through 1988 and 1990. I liked him from the beginning, Lear recalled. He was smart, and he had a good sense of humor, an amazing memory. He also could drink me under the table, which wasn't so easy to do back then. When I saw him put away a fifth of scotch before lunchtime, I knew he was my kind of guy. Then he'd be off on something else. That was Bill. One minute he'd be wrapping himself in the flag, standing up and reciting parts of the Constitution verbatim. Then he'd be like a beatnik at a jazz club. Hey, daddy-o. Hey, daddy-o. He might have pulled a gun on me three or four times. Then again, I pulled a gun on him, too. (laughs) Okay, so so just to summarize, he's like, I knew this guy. We were going to be friends when I found out he was very sick in his head. (laughs) And that there was little hope that he was going to seek out help or get any support from someone in his life. I was all about this. And I thought it was really cool because I shared these same issues. (laughs) Because I have the same problem. Wow. We both had violent mood swings and pulled firearms on each other regularly. That's how I And did we have interest in addressing this? No. Therefore, (laughs) we were going to be good friends. 
Soon, Bill Cooper developed his own hypothesis based off of Lear's theory about global elites trading human souls for alien technology. In excited online rants, Bill would claim to have access to top-secret information that at least 16 alien craft had crashed and been found by the U.S. government. Uh, 65 aliens had been recovered dead and one had been recovered alive, but was always very specific in these kind of posts. According to Mark Jacobson, quote, Cooper's rewrite of Lear's hypothesis added new items like a particle beam weapon and machinery for cloning and synthetic genetic duplication of humans to the shopping list of Lear's unholy tech for flesh deal. He also tweaked the timeline of government alien interaction. Now there were three separate meetings, the most significant being the signing of the formal agreement, which took place on February 10th, 1954 at Murak, now Edwards Air Force Base near Lancaster, California. The historic event had been planned in advance and the details of the treaty had been agreed upon, Cooper writes in The Secret government. President Eisenhower had been vacationing nearby Palm Springs when he was spirited away to the base on the pretext that he had an appointment with his dentist, who happened to be Dr. Tim Tote Leary, father of the LSD guru Timothy Leary, which of course would make it into later conspiracy theories, but is true. Um, Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So it's not hard to see why Bill's alternate version of history played well with very online people. It's fun. Yeah. Um, yeah. And and Bill wasn't content with just being a giant among the very first and thus very saddest conspiracy nerds in the Internet. No, in it has that like, kind of fun. Everything is connected vibe to it that people online yeah. love. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he get he starts to get kind of famous within this community for that. And he, soon he's speaking at like conventions and stuff, UFO conventions all around. Like he's kind of in demand by people late are making Angel Fire fan sites. Yeah. And in 1989, Bill decides he's going to take things a step further because he doesn't want to just be limited to the Internet. So he prints out 535 copies of all of his findings on extraterrestrials, and he sends out copies to every member of the U.S. House and Senate. Um, And he'd written so much, like these documents he was sending everyone in Congress um, were so extensive that the whole endeavor cost $27,000. Oh, my God. Yeah. Yeah. Wait. What? Yeah. Hey, in like 1989 money? In 1989 money, money, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Bill's dedicated. His guides for Congress included a helpful taxonomic guide to all the different alien species out in the galaxy, including two different kinds of gray aliens and the Draco Mothman. The Um, Draco Malfoy? Yeah, <laughs> that's what I heard too. <laughs> Mothman, Dra- Draco. Mothman. Let's not let's not make fun of Mothman here, okay? Oh, Mothman. Okay. Now, Bill obviously hadn't seen anything like these creatures in person, um, and but he was, you know, at this point claiming openly, you know, he'd been claiming for years to his friends of all the secrets he'd seen in that admiral's cabinet, and now he starts like justifying, like this is how I learned about all these aliens is from the cabinet. Um, this is a very wise cabinet. Yeah, that that admiral really kept a lot of different shit just under his desk. And apparently, <laughs> Bill had a ton of time to really read mm-hmm. it and take it in, and you know. Well, you know, you know, a lot of three martini lunches happen happening in the admiralty back then. You know, sure, you, 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 sure, yeah. sure. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, so. Bill sends all this off to Congress, along with an offer to undergo hypnotic regression to convince Congress he was the real deal. Um, No one took him up on the author. But Cooter, yeah. Just let me hypnotize you. I can convince you my ideas are good. No, you just have to, you have to hypnotize me and take me back to the past. Oh, and then I will give you the, oh, I see what he's doing. Okay, actually what he's suggesting is Yeah, watch like 30 different episodes of the X-Files for more information on hypnotic regression. I guess. (laughs) So, 
Yeah. And nobody at Congress ever gets back to Bill, but he later will write that at least sending all of this nonsense out to them had, quote, prevented the government from arresting or harming me. Any move by them would be interpreted as total confirmation of everything that I had revealed. Um, a lot of faith to have in this evil government. Yeah. So luckily for Bill, the late 1980s saw the meteoric rise in popularity of the UFO movement, and Bill became one of its first celebrities. He started making money, selling his different writings on extraterrestrials, and he was invited to speak at the Mutual UFO Network MUFON Symposium in 1989. Okay. Now, the MUFON Symposium started with disaster when, on Saturday evening, an MJ-12 expert named William Moore admitted that he'd colluded with an Air Force Office of Special Investigations employee to spread false information to UFO researchers, which is exactly what like okay. Lear and Bill Cooper had been claiming. Um, mm-hmm. But unfortunately, Moore admitted to that some of the disinformation he'd spread um, was like one of the pieces of fake, you know, leaked government documents that Bill had used as a major source in his own work. Um, Mark Jacobson writes, quote, this was particularly troubling for the Lear-Cooper contingent since Lear had included a fair amount of this work in his hypothesis. It brought the galling possibility that much of the MJ-12 story that revealed Washington malfeasance was itself part of a government-directed disinformation program. Following more speech, Cooper ended up at Lear's home in a rage. He was roaring drunk, screaming that he'd been set up and demanding to know who I was really working for, Lear recalled. That was one of those times I thought he might kill me. By the next day, Cooper had calmed down. Who cared what William Moore said anyway? The man was a liar, a fake, less than a pawn in the larger game. The original MJ-12 papers were bogus, Cooper said, a pile of crap designed to lead you right through the Rose Garden. The truth, the real truth, the one he'd learned while looking through Admiral Clary's cabinet, was still out there, ready to be told. Hmm. So after this all happens, at his first really big speech at MUFON's, Bill gets on stage and he delivers a captivating lecture that relied very heavily on his own experiences stumbling upon top secret information while working for the Navy. I'm going to play you a little segment of that right now, Jamie. Please. That's what I sent you, Jamie, over text. Yeah. And this will give you an idea of kind of where Bill is in terms of um, a pitch man, how he is at delivering his information at kind of the start of his career, because he's not really on the radio yet. Okay, so he's still he's still finding his voice. He's still finding his voice. He's exactly. still finding his voice. Hey, you know, we've all been there. There are accounts that there were four. I saw pictures of three of those dead alien bodies in a report called Project Grudge, which also included material from a report called Blue Book Report Number 13. So I'm not sure whether there were three or four. I saw photographs of three of those bodies for sure. Really, it doesn't make any difference if there was one or 50. The important thing is that it occurred and that there were dead alien bodies that were not of this world. Okay. Um, yeah. I th- you know, he does kind of have the energy of a Reddit user who is, who is uh, on stage for the first time. Yeah. Um, but it sounds like he course corrects this later in his uh, life. He sure lives. does. In, but in I mean, part there's, two, we'll there's hear ideas a lot of being him. thrown out. There's ideas being yeah. thrown out. And a decent I, shirt. Yeah, and a decent shirt. So, yeah, it, one of the things you'll notice from that is that, like, what Bill's saying is obviously absurd, but he's smart enough not to dwell on any, like, one piece of data for long. Um, it's very matter it, of fact the way it's delivered, yeah. Yeah, and and one of the things that Bill really starts to do, so like UFO conspiracy theories had for most of the time that existed just kind of been this theory that like there's aliens out there and the government doesn't want you to know about them. Mm-hmm. Bill finds a way to really connect UFO conspiracy theories to people in a much more kind of emotional level because you know it, by this point the 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 late 1980s 
everyone's pretty aware that things have started to go wrong since World War II. Like, most Americans are like, this doesn't seem like the path we were supposed to be on. (laughs) Um, And Bill kind of is the first guy to be like, what if we just blame it all on aliens? <laughs> like, what What if that's the reason things went yeah, wrong? Yeah, people are after seeking a shortcut. II. So I have yeah. come up with a great one. It is interesting, too, just even like listening to how yeah. he talks of how he seems to be kind of using this like yeah. military way of carrying himself to like have a level of authority. It's not really the same kind of conspiracy theorist. Uh, carrying yeah. oneself that you see now it's very it's not like a media personality it's like a he, he sounds like a military person saying he the does. weirdest shit i've ever heard yeah uh and and he yeah uh, another quote from that speech where he kind of goes into detail about how the aliens had fucked things up for America, I think is salient to end on for this episode. Quote, without the aliens, you can't make sense of anything that's happened in this country for the past 44 years. Put the aliens in the middle and you've got all the answers. Your own government is selling your children drugs and you don't seem to care. Your own government has given away the power of the people and you don't seem to care. There is an apathy that is running rampant in this country that is deadly. Whether or not there are aliens, we are now truly a nation of sheep. And ladies and gentlemen, I assure you, sheep are always led to the slaughter. It's here I should note oh. that Bill Cooper is probably the man who invented the word sheeple. Wow. Yeah, he's the sheeple guy. Yeah. Legacy. He's certainly I mean, the guy who popularized out, it. If you sub out any of what he said with a uh, absurd devotion to capitalism, yes. I agree with it. Well, and <laughs> Just that, sub out aliens with devotion to capitalism. You, you're on to something because one of the things that I think separates Bill from guys like Alex Jones is I don't think Bill was primarily a grifter. I think Bill was a guy who, for all of his many, many horrific flaws, um, like recognized that things were really fucked up and he created this because he was a liar and a fabulist. Um, he had he created this, and because he was kind of like fundamentally mentally incapable of really uh, admitting what had gone wrong, he creates this whole schema to justify or to to explain to people who don't want to admit what the actual problem is, why things are fucked up in America. And that's really like the genesis. Of, that's why conspiracy is so fucking popular today in large part is because things are fucked up. Everybody knows it. And a lot of us are desperate to not stare the real problem in the face. And Bill Cooper right. was the first guy to really get good at providing people with something that would let them not stare the real problem in the face. Um, and I don't know the extent to which we'll get into this a little tomorrow. I, or, or on in part two, I don't know the extent to which Bill knew what he was doing. Um, I don't know the extent. There's definitely a part of him that was a pitch man and a con artist. And there's a part of him that I think was like a patriot who was legitimately traumatized by how fucked up he watched his country become. I don't really know. Um, but it seems like both things are kind of going it on. It seems like he Bill. truly is like suffering of a... Uh lot of um, he's definitely suffering yeah he's definitely suffering he's definitely has some mental illness issues and um i can't wait to hear what he does next well jamie first you're gonna have to tell us where they can find you next so that you can <laughs> Ooh. okay well sure you can well you can follow me on twitter this never feels right the the <laughs> Uh, t- you can follow me on Twitter. Uh, you can listen to my podcast, My Year in Mensa, uh, which there will be, I think there will be another episode of and, and some developments in in the near future. And you can listen to the Bechdel cast 
every Thursday, Feminist Movie Podcast, and yeah. All right, and you can find me somewhere. No one, no one's, no one's ever learned how though. Um, So you can follow him at iWriteOKay on Twitter. He doesn't believe in Instagram. I don't believe in Instagram now, Um, or 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 the TikToks. What the kids are doing. Robert, I All really right. think you would be really good at TikTok. Robert, I... you, you would fucking love TikTok. It's a bunch of angry teenagers you saying, fuck the patriarchy. It's very You would cool. love it, and you would be good at it. Yeah, I mean, but I don't I mean, recommend it. I don't know. Absolutely not, unless you're looking makes for me some feel 500 teenager. years old. If you're looking for a teenager you know what to makes tell me you feel how to old. have flawless skin, <laughs> TikTok. If you're looking for a teenager to tell you that your parents are racist, TikTok. That's Man. my. If you're looking for Kellyanne Conway's daughter, daughter? Um, yes, being TikTok. on the right side of history, TikTok. If you're I looking for, already if you're looking for teenagers old. that are trying to make it so that uh, uh, there's empty seats at Trump rallies, also TikTok. TikTok. Our new sponsor. These... No, I'm kidding. Uh, oh. <laughs> I'm I'm I, I'm so tired even thinking about TikTok. Um, I'm so tired thinking about young people in general. Um, all right, old, all right, old guy, the podcast's over. Yep. I'm Scott Weinberger, journalist and former deputy sheriff. In my new podcast series, Cold-Blooded, I'm embedded in the cold case investigation into the death of firefighter Billy Halpern. Experience this investigation in a truly unique way, untangling secrets that may reveal the answers to not only one case, but almost a dozen. Listen to Cold-Blooded, The Apollo Jim Murders on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi guys, Nancy Grace here, host of podcast Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. I've dedicated my life to fighting crime and helping crime victims. For a decade, I prosecuted violent felonies. Every day is a mission. Every day is a chance to stop crime and keep one more person safe. Listen to Crime Stories with Nancy Grace on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. In the recent history of documentary filmmaking, one scene stands out above all. The hot mic bathroom confession of Robert Durst in The Jinx. Now the person responsible for that moment, Sereb Kaufman, stepson of the victim, friend of the murderer, star of the documentary, for the first time ever, shares why he believes you're watching the furthest thing from the truth on this exclusive episode of Murder Homes. Listen to Murder Homes on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher, back with another season of the global number one podcast, The Girlfriends. Last time, we investigated the murder of Gail Katz. This time, we're uncovering the identity of the woman who was buried in Gail's grave for a decade before she disappeared. Join me and the rest of the club as we tell her story. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister, starting May 6th on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.